Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling Hate Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Love Selling Hate Sales Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Justin Williams. Justin is a consultant with Ken Lundeen and Associates. Justin, thank you for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So you know what? I want to dive right in because there was something we talked about when we were doing a little show prep that just got me all amped up on the art versus the science. You all sell a 90-day alpha program to sales organizations. Yes? That's right. Okay. So this alpha program is basically teaching sellers the art, right? That's right. But at the same time, you're getting almost immediate pressure from the people who bought the program from you to produce the metrics. Right. Right. The results. Yeah. The results. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> right there, we've got it. We've got the art for the science, the selling versus the sales that's punching us right in the face in your business day in and day out. So how do you manage that? What, what's, what's step one look like? That's awesome. Yeah. And, and so that's the program. I mean, it's the sales alpha roadmap. And just like you said, over a 90 day period, we are, it's designed to move very quickly. We are helping outbound sales reps of any kind, SDRs, AEs, account managers. We're helping them get to more focused activity and more results from that focused outbound activity. That's consistent and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And the results come quick because we, we leverage technology in the process. So we've partnered with outreach and sales loft okay. to, to really get their cadences and sequences dialed in. And we're launching new cadences and new sequences within three weeks, sometimes faster inside okay. the program. So that's how we get to results fast because their team gets outbound fast, but we stack best practices it means they're starting to book more qualified meetings almost immediately from launching the new campaigns together. Okay. So there's another component of that. Some, it seems like is sales loft and outreach something that's a pre-existing right. piece of their stack prior to you all coming in, or are you making the recommendation for that purchase? That's right. It's pre-existing now because it's a brand new program. And so okay. what we've done is we've reached out to both, outreach and sales loft and we're working them like channel relationships. Okay. But we also, if someone finds our website and is curious and wants to learn more, that's an important part of our discovery process to make sure that they have one of those technologies already set up in their tech stack. Okay. So this is interesting, right? Now we've got a couple of things that we're doing here. Uh, one is from an ROI standpoint, they're likely whoever it is, the VP of sales, the CEO, whoever bought this technology is looking for some tangible return. That's right. Right. What are we getting out of this? Why am I spending money on mm -hmm. it? So that's good. And at the same time, you've come up with a very simple data point to define your own ICP. That's right. Right. You've got someone, you've got a target audience, you've got someone you can go after defined by this piece of technology and it gives you a springboard into your own prospecting efforts. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, so let's talk about some of the art that you're you're teaching in this 90-day boot camp because I think for the sellers that are listening to this, that's the uh, the little teasers they want to get out of it. Oh, yeah. And uh, what, what types of things do you start with? So the art that we're helping them understand is that you don't have to go it alone. You know, you don't have to wing it for every single conversation or every single email you write. So 
we'll use those tools that we mentioned. We'll use them to provide scripts and uh, that's for both emails and phone calls, mm-hmm. which will act like frameworks. You know, they, they will guide the rep through the conversation or through the email that they send out on how to, how to hit just the right pain points or at least intrigue the prospect to want to have a phone conversation with you and potentially take a uh, next meeting after the phone conversation or the email is, is read. So I'm curious, what is, and I, I'm often asked this question and I think it's a valid one by, by sellers, especially younger sellers. Mm-hmm. What's the goal of that first cold outreach? If you happen to get someone who answers the phone. Yeah. What's the, the goal? goal? Yeah. The goal is just to get the next meeting, just to get them to agree to a next meeting. And it's important. What's also not the goal is making the sale. You don't have to close the deal in the first call. So for reps listening out there, you can take a whole lot of pressure off yourself for this first cold call. All you have to do is pique this prospect's interest just enough to say, I'm curious and I want to learn more. How can we do that? Okay. I like it. So what's the typical, what's an ideal time frame for that call? Well, you want to schedule it pretty quickly. And our best practices that we coach to are already have in mind in the next probably three business days, a few times to recommend. If you have the prospect intrigued, we'll say, great, I'd love to spend another 15 minutes uh, of your time really diving deeper into this potential problem and solution pairing that we've talked about. How does tomorrow look at 3 p.m.? How about next Monday? How about Tuesday? Got it. Okay. Yeah. How long do you think that call is if you get them on the hook, that, that, that first initial touch? Less, less than five minutes. I've seen with the reps that I'm coaching today, it's less than five minutes. And the really good ones are between a minute and two minutes long. What's the data showing you? So if we, if we flip to the other side, right. And, yeah. and we look at the metrics because, you know, while I, it's not my favorite part of it, it is vitally important. What are the best doing? Well, the best, you know, when we give them the right script and there's work that goes into making sure the script is the right script. You know, we've, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, we've really dialed in who is their ideal client profile. We've really taken some time to understand the problems that that prospect faces on a day-to-day basis. And so we, we are armed with a script that for the prospect is going to ask just the right kind of question it's going to create a gap in their understanding. It's going to create a gap that's going to probably knock the prospect back a little bit and say, huh, I didn't think of it that way. Okay. And so the best reps, what they're doing is they're studying the prospect and they're studying the script before they pick up the phone and dial. They're not just bombing straight into it. You know, they're prepared. They're prepared for the call and they have a good idea of where the call might go before they even dial the number. Interesting. So there's a, there's lots of different thoughts on scripts, right? Yes. And uh, there's, we had one recently online, I think, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. It could be somewhat polarizing. Do you use a script? Do you coach to a script? Those types of things. What happens when you, I I don't know, even though maybe it's a leader that you might, you might be selling to that says, Oh, we don't believe in scripts or a rep who pushes back on the concept of a script. What's the, how do you handle that? Why well, I, I just asked a simple question, which challenges the person I might be talking to, like a, a sales leader, I might say, well, do you believe in measuring success? Mm-hmm. And if you do, we all can agree that you have to have 
Um, like in any research project, you have to have the placebo and you have to have the variables uh, reduced or eliminated. And so the variability of letting your reps go out and just say whatever's on their mind, whatever willy nilly, you know, script they come with, come up with on the fly makes measuring why that call worked versus why that call didn't work makes right. measuring that very, very difficult. So Got it. if you're up for measuring success, you are four scripts. And that would be my argument. If you're up for measuring success, you're four scripts. <laughs> Talk about hitting a sales leader square in the eyes. <laughs> and I think I can understand it. Cause as you know, like I've, I've been a sales leader before I was a consultant. So on the front lines, I understand because I, I also once was against scripts, but it's not necessarily the actual, uh, the potential that a script could help you measure success was, wasn't known to me when I was against scripts. I was just against scripts because I didn't know how to do it. You know, okay. it, was, it was more of a, you know, it's, 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 there's not much uh, best practices out there around scripts and there's a million ways to write up a good script. But I mean, your, your team does a great job of this. You just have to understand your buyer and the problems they face on a regular basis. And that's a good enough place to start to see if you can write up a good script. That's really all you need. Yeah. Well, I think the other interesting part of that is you talk about speed to market, right? These people are looking for results now and that knowledge transfer oftentimes can happen through the script. Yeah. Is that something right. that you see, especially with new reps who are green? You know, I don't know what kind of mix you get, but you know, a new green rep, how do you get them onboarded fast? It seems like the script may be a path there. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it is, it, it has more value to the newer rep than maybe to the, to the, to the more experienced rep, but even the more experienced rep can benefit because every time a new feature is released by the product team, you start that process over again. Like you have right. to train up and, and understand that new feature, not just what it is that you can, you know, show up and throw up on the right. call. It's, it's what it is. You have to understand it well enough to know how it applies to your prospects problems. How can it be a solution for them and be able to articulate that so well, because back to my earlier point, you only get a minute or two right. on good cold calls. Mm -hmm. So it has to be succinct. You can't just show up and just start saying everything about the feature. You, you probably won't get the next meeting if you do that. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we're talking about a 90 day program here and we're looking for quick results. We've talked about the development of the script. There's probably some assessment that goes into that on the front end, just understanding their business, understanding what they're doing now. Yeah. What types of data points do you typically get during that assessment? What do, what does the sales leader have to give you to understand yeah. what's going on with their team? Well, like I said earlier, it's important for them to have uh, a sales engagement platform already set up that yep. their team is using. And so the assessment require um, where we start when we start with a new client in the sales offer roadmap system is we try to get them into one of four buckets okay. of campaigns that they're actively running. And those four different types of campaigns lay out like this. There's no campaigns. So okay. we've all been there. You bought the software yep. and your team, your team didn't adopt it. <laughs> and so, it's, it's the platform's problem though. That's right. That's right. So that's an easy one to spot. Yeah. You can go into uh, like outreach or sales loft and just look and see that nobody's using it. Nobody's for logged sure. in for days. Easy one. So the second one, the second type of campaign we look for is an ad hoc campaign. 
Okay. And this is how you know what to look for to see if you're one of these. Your reps, and we typically work with teams that are, you know, five or more reps, you know, so they don't have to be massive sales yep. forces. But what you look for is individuals using the system for their own individual benefit, meaning okay. their cadences are all de designed by themselves and, and being run by themselves in a silo. Got it. And that's an ad hoc campaign style that we look for in our assessment. Okay. And then the third style is just a little bit better than that, but still not quite where you want to be to be optimal. The third style we call forgettable campaigns. <laughs> and now forgettable, maybe it might be a team effort. You know, you might have team cadences or team sequences that was maybe developed by the marketing team and then handed off to the sales team, which is what we find a lot. Right. But the language might be too feature heavy or too product focused and not focused enough on the buyer. Okay. the buyer's journey and the buyer's problems. And we've found that um, this is a really hard thing to master. Um, and even for a great marketing team, they're, they're always lacking a little bit of that frontline experience that the sales team can bring in. And so it's rarely a collaborative effort. Right. The sales and the marketing team wrote up the messaging together. Mm -hmm. and so forgettable campaigns typically means that there wasn't a lot of collaboration between the sales and the marketing team. And so, these campaigns, even though they're being run by the team, might be falling flat with the buyer and forgotten by the buyer. Got it. All right. I like it. Yeah. So I assume stage four has got to be more positive, right? We're getting absolutely better. And that's where you want to be. And that's optimal. We call it purpose-driven campaigns. Okay. We come in to help you get to this fourth category, to have all your campaigns filled with purpose and connecting with buyers and getting buyers to sign up for that next step on a routine basis. And so what we look for to see if you're running those, all those elements I talked about in the previous three, we want those to be absent. But okay. the purpose-driven campaign is where a rep is at least booking one meeting per day through their outbound efforts. That's optimal. It's not easy to get there, but that's what we coach up our companies to get to ultimately. Yeah, I love it. I think uh, a lot of reps would be pretty excited with a, a meeting per day output. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I mean, momentum is so important in you know a, a rep's life, and so yeah, to have that happening every single day would feel pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's one of those feel goods for sure. It is a game of ups and downs, highs and lows. The roller coaster of sales is one of those things that I think a lot of outsiders don't really realize. And mm -hmm. having a framework in place that does create some repeatability in that endorphin rush that you get from closing a deal, booking a meeting, whatever it may be. I think that's super important. That's right. So, so you mentioned at the top in this 90 day program that it is a repeatable, scalable system, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll speak from my own experience. One of the most common things that happens is you get five deals in pipeline, you're pumped up, right? You're working these deals because working deals is fun, but then the prospecting efforts fall off. So yeah. is that part of what that repeatable, scalable process is helping to do? It is. It is. And so, you know, looking at it for, through two different lenses, you know, first let's start with the sales leader. Okay. The repeatability that we can help the sales leader achieve is we actually teach them how to coach. We teach them how to coach their reps up and they can be the reps accountability partner to make sure that they are consistent in their prospecting efforts, even mm -hmm. while they're managing pipeline. So for a, for a full cycle sales rep, this is really important because I know that I know that I've done that. Mm -hmm. You get 
those five good deals, that's where all your attention goes. Absolutely. Forget or neglect the process. Super common. Yeah. So that's part of our 90 day program is we're working, you know, we have weekly calls with the sales leaders and we're teaching them how to coach their reps, you know, teaching them what to look for and the best practices to coach their reps to like what should be your daily balance of prospecting versus pipeline management or opportunity management. And then the other lens is for the rep, you know, so what's repeatable for the rep, you know, not only do we provide in this program, uh, one of the outcomes is a playbook where Mm -hmm. everything we've done in the 90 days is documented and, and captured and then given to the sales leader and the sales team to know, Hey, this worked once before. If you want to do it again, use this as a template, okay. you know, and pick a new ideal client profile and, and write up some new messaging and launch a new campaign and, and, and repeat it again. So for the rep, it doesn't have to just be, um, Ken Lundin associates comes in for 90 days. And then when they leave, we go back to all of our old habits. Right. We leave them with a playbook that says, do it again, guys, and, and repeat it over and over again for, if you've got different industries, different roles that you target within large yep. companies, you know, so different products that you're selling, whatever it is. Yeah. Any it. type of different segment that you might be able to target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's right. So a lot of this seems to be leading towards making the metrics look better, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if the activity is consistent, we've got a playbook for success. We've got all of these things. Yep. That's huge, right? And it's huge for the sales leader to have that ability to, to coach and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So let me throw a phrase at you and get your take on it. There's only two things in sales, discovery and negotiation. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. And it's the first time I've heard it. Um, all right. I do think discovery is extremely important. So just as I unpack that statement, I can say yes to discovery, mm-hmm. but I'm not quite sure. Um, cause negotiation is also important. I wouldn't give them equal weight because so, sort of like if you lay it out linearly on a, on a timeline, you have to get, you have to master discovery before you even get an opportunity to negotiate. Exactly. Right. So, just as we're working with our clients, we always start with the fundamentals and discovery is closer to the, the basic fundamentals that you have to master as a rep before you can even advance to mastering negotiation. Um, so I, I just, I wanted to acknowledge the dependency of discoveries. You have to be good at those before you're even going to get a chance to negotiate. For sure. Is there anything missing in your view? Is it a false statement? Um, yeah, I don't think taken in a vacuum, it's the only, I don't think those are the only two things in sales. So yes, I guess I do have a, I guess I do have an argument that there's something missing. All right. I mean, let's hear it. just the cold call, the cold call itself, which in, in my, in my world, the way, the way that we teach it's before a discovery meeting is earned. Mm-hmm. So on a cold call, if you stink, you're never going to get to the discovery anyway. That's right. So I do think that you have to know how to, create a gap in the prospects understanding they, they need to understand that status quo isn't good enough. There's, there's something better that they haven't been introduced to. And that's what the rep is here for. They're here to introduce something new that they haven't thought of before. And if you're not good enough at that, you won't get enough discoveries 
And so I think you got to say creating a gap, earning your way into a discovery meeting and then negotiating at the end, I think are three critical components of sales that you have to master. I love it. Yeah. I think it's really good. Um, so I asked the same question to a previous guest and she gave me a, a really quick response. She said, well, I like to think in, in this, I should have gotten this. I like to think in threes, which my head thinks in threes <laughs> as well as do a lot of people, but what you have discovery and negotiation is a two legged stool and that stool is not stable and it will fall flat on its face. So like the missing piece of her equation was trust. Mm. And I thought that was quite interesting because it can be applied at every stage. Yeah. Um, I, to use your cold call as the missing component, you could argue that the cold call is actually a part of discovery. Yeah. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, sure. but you could argue that it is because you're doing that discovery to know that person on the front end and then apply what you've learned. That's right. But the trust equation, I don't think anything happens unless you have an ability to build trust. You're right. No, so, I'm for that too. Trust is so important. Yeah, I agree. So I'm curious, you know, as this 90 day action plan goes in, we've talked about some very actionable things that can start to happen. How do you drill deeper, even more into that art, right? Trust building, doing better discovery, managing the pipeline against all those different variables. How much of that do yeah. you get into? Pretty. We, we actually get into a lot of it because I think... At its core, sales don't close until there's trust established. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can establish trust if you're not in it for your buyer's best interest. And that's, those are table stakes. So I think when you, when you work with our team, you'll see in every part of the 90 day program from our script work, launching a cadence all the way until we were teaching people how to negotiate and close at, at the end. Um, they have to establish trust from that cold call. And the way that you do that is you reduce the amount of, you know, like talking about your product and your features and your benefits sure. in that cold call. It's really important for the buyer to understand that you're here for them. And so you, in the script, we always have great open-ended questions and then expander questions on whatever answer they gave us, things like, oh, tell me more about that. Or, you know, what, what drove you to, um, to install that program or, or to buy that software? Tell, tell me more. That's being curious. That's being interested, not interesting. And trust starts there. You have to be interested in your buyer and, and for them just from the very get-go and all the way through the process. Yeah, I think I think curiosity to your point is one of those huge differentiators and and genuine curiosity. Yeah. Right. If if anything comes off as reading a script list a list of questions, I think that's one of the things that reps fall back on. I need to hit this punch list of questions. I'm gonna get them asked. But those questions don't have the meaning or purpose behind them. And that's what I liked about what you said with purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Having purpose behind that curiosity and, and genuine genuineness, if there is such a word, is super important. Yeah. So I agree. It gets me thinking then, what are some of those signals that the buyer gives you that indicate you're starting to build and earn their trust? Well, if you, if you can get them talking, and so, you know, let's look at the numbers just as a, as a quick answer. Okay. We've, we've found the best cold calls 
and this is not our study. This is just third-party data that we've, that we've found. Right. That the best cold calls have 55% the buyer or the prospect talking to 45% the rep okay. making the call. And so that's, that's one trigger is you have them talking more and you can do that with good uh, open-ended questions and genuine curiosity. Okay. And, and so that's, that's the first uh, trigger to look for. But I think another trigger to, to, to listen for, because I coach my uh, clients through the hardest part of the cold call is the messy middle. You know, I think mm-hmm. the script, you can study it, you can prep for it. And Mike Tyson's quote rings true here. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's right. And, and most buyers, you know, will put up a fight. Most mm-hmm. buyers will. And if so, if in the middle of the conversation, you start to hear objections, I think the trigger event that you want to look for is, you know, simply just being curious and asking, you know, what drove you to make that decision? Like, help me understand how you arrived at that conclusion and, and get them, get them talking about their thought process, how they became aware of a problem and how they developed their own solution and just listen. And I think if you can get them talking about that, it does, it does diffuse the conversation because it's not about features and benefits. It's not about software or or technical things like that's a rabbit hole to avoid. You don't want to start (laughs) talking about, you know, does it do this, that, or that, you know, or does it integrate, you know, does it integrate with Salesforce? Mm -hmm. So, um, you want to, you want to hear them with their guard coming down, talking about their thought process and sharing with you how I arrived at the solution that we're currently using that we're totally fine with, because that's, that's a lot of the phone calls that I hear with the clients that I coach is most buyers say, we're good. Yeah. We've, we've got our own little way of doing it. You know, it may result in a stack of papers this high, right. but I keep the ones that I haven't done on this side of my desk and the ones that are done are on this side of my desk. And I like my, little kingdom and I don't want any disruption. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's, it's hard to disrupt the status quo. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Do you recommend, and I, I have a reason for asking this based on what you just said, do you recommend any required reading for your students uh, outside of your own curriculum, you know, sales books, literature, the, the, some of the masters? We don't, but, in, but in many cases we end up, you know, based on circumstances, based on, you know, like, uh, maybe challenges that a certain rep or, or the team might be facing. We, we certainly will recommend something like uh, just actually today with one client. I think what we're missing a little bit, you know, the, the reps on a whole, it's a, it's a relatively new product and they're still lacking some confidence on mm-hmm. the phone because their, their ideal client profile that they're targeting now intimidates them a little bit. You know, they're calling higher up the org chart than mm-hmm. they have before. So I've recommended that they go to their competitor's website, their number one competitor's website, and just read their success stories, read their case studies, because I want them to start to read what problems are being solved for their ideal client profile. Because okay. that's how these case studies are being written by the competitors. So just get a better understanding of how the problems are discussed, how they're defined, how they're spoken about. Just become more comfortable with that vernacular. And that should build their confidence on the call because they're going to start to I, mean, I think they're going to they're going to start to think they're going to start to take on some of the thoughts of, of their of their buyer that they're targeting through this campaign. Yeah, I love it. There's um, 
there's a book I read and you may or may not have read it um, by a guy named Chris Voss, uh, Never Split the Difference. Yeah. I right. haven't read it yet, but I've heard it many times. It's yeah, you really list. should. And it's funny because it's not a sales book by any stretch of the imagination, but it the the concepts that he writes about from his experience as a FBI hostage negotiator really are applicable across dozens of life applications, including sales, right? Right. But what I find to be the most interesting about it, because it's something that you said here, was the listening component. Mm-hmm. You can only apply those techniques if you listen. Yeah. Right. So he, he gets into the idea of mirroring. So repeating the last three things people said, labeling a feeling, right. Mm -hmm. But you can't label something unless you've listened acutely enough to know what you're labeling, right. Cause it's supposed to elicit a response. So I do think that's one of those little things, uh, maybe a tip for you and Ken, just to throw some required reading like in there. Yeah, no, I, th- I, no, I think it fits. It, it applies very well. Cause that's, yeah, I think that, that a challenge for a rep who on a cold call might get stuck in the middle, mm-hmm. not sure where to pivot, how to pivot to a, the ask the close for the next meeting is they probably haven't listened well enough to, you know, anchor the reason why they're asking for a meeting so that I can show you a better way right. to that problem that you just, just described as X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't gotten that, and I think that comes with reps. I mean, that comes with, you know, at bats, if you're hearing it enough, eventually you'll come around to it. But I, I think that book might be great required reading because maybe he has a hack to get you there faster than just a bunch of phone calls. Absolutely. I would agree. I I do recommend. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think what you just said there is interesting because I think as sellers, we're almost pre-wired to have the answer to everything. Yeah. Where in fact, there's more power in not having the answer. That's right. And your ability to say, I don't know or no. Good question. Or just, yeah. Or just answer a question with a question. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. those are things that take reps and getting a seller comfortable with because it feels weird. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in fact, it shows that you're being a little bit more empathetic to their situation and trying yeah. to learn more and listen. Yeah, it is counterintuitive. I mean, you're trying to build, you're trying to build trust, and you and you know that trust follows credibility. Mm-hmm. So so I, I can see it, it's like in in the reps' mind, it's easy to assume that credibility is only earned if I know all the answers. Right. That's not true. I mean, remember, you're just trying to get to the next meeting and the next meeting is not that big of an ask because it's 15 more minutes of their time or 20 more minutes of their time. Right. So like these things are all relative. Like you only have to earn this much credibility and you can do that with exactly what you just shared, like being vulnerable, being authentic and saying, Mm -hmm. you know what? I don't know. Um, that can, that can make, that can diffuse any defensive posture from a client. And that's, that's important to notice. It's like, it maybe if the phone call is feeling tense to, to say something like that, like, you know, I don't have all the answers. I just was curious to find out if this might be a fit for you. Uh, and then you can just sort of like say, and it may not be, that's what we're here to figure out together. Yeah. You know, like let, let the pressure out of the room, drop the rope and just say, it's okay. Might not be the fit for you, but I'm just here to introduce it to you. For sure. So how much then do your approaches differ based on who they're selling into. So you mentioned that you have a client who's a little uncomfortable because the reps are selling higher up than they're normal. So maybe it's an executive audience, Mm -hmm. but maybe you have other solutions that you're coaching around that 
can be purchased at the director level, at the manager level. Maybe they're not as high a ticket item that's, that needs to go up that far. Yeah. How do those scripting conversations, how do those differ? They really don't change as much as you think because right. um, the, the framework that we use for our, our scripting um, really has the same kind of flow, the same format. And it's, it's just introducing yourself and the reason for the call very quickly okay. in the very beginning of the call. And then what you want to do is you ask a question that is designed to pique their interest and create a little gap in their understanding. And whether it's a director or manager all the way up to a C-suite, mm-hmm. they, have, they have a problem that they either are aware of or aren't aware of. And the question is designed to introduce you have a problem and are you aware of it? Got it. So, so either answer is okay. And so we, we would ask a director who may have a different problem than their boss or their boss's boss. Hey, are you finding this challenge? You know, how, how do you deal with this challenge? Mm-hmm. The, the, the question is typically phrased the same. All you take out is like how you define the problem. You know, like what is the problem? Right. You know, it's, um, P and L responsibility versus hiring, firing versus, um, something very, very tactical focused. Like you have to launch the marketing campaign by the end of the month. And you find that you missed that deadline often, you know, like it's, it's just saying that problem. Are you frustrated with it? Are you finding yourself challenged with it? And would you like to, would you like to learn a better way? Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned a little bit about you're typically working with organizations that have five plus reps, right? Mm -hmm what's the other, what other components make up your, your client base? What type of sale, um, you know, ASP, is it uh, average deal size? Give me a little bit of, of the types of folks you typically work with. Sure. Sure. And so, you know, like just to even a step back, I mean, Ken Lundin and associates is a rel- still a relatively new consulting firm, but prior to that, Ken has 20 plus years of experience leading and consulting sales teams. Mm-hmm. I I'm new to the company but I've been leading sales teams myself for the last 10 years. And so we bring a lot of different types of experiences, both in the role of sales leader and rep, as well as different types of clients that we've served. And the sales alpha roadmap is really designed for a sweet spot type of client for Ken Lundin associates. These are B2B sales teams and they're typically a smaller team. So, around that five rep level, but they are primed for growth. Got it. And they've either tried to reach the next plateau and failed, or they're ready to get some help because they know it's going to be hard to hit that next plateau. How do we get to 50 reps? How do we get to hundred reps and not lose our minds in the process? Got it. That's, that's our sweet spot. Okay. So if, if that's the sweet spot, shifting gears just a little bit, what type of collaboration do you get into with the marketing department at any of these organizations? I know you have a little bit of background in marketing as well. So yeah. curious if you ever have any crossover in those engagements. Yeah, we do. We do. And it, it, it varies on client by client basis, but if we have access to their marketing team, we will take that because we know that the scripting work that we're going to do needs a keen eye to make sure that, you know, we, while we might, work with the sales leader to define the next ICP and um, try to, you know, um, 
uncover what are the top pain points that they experience on a day-to-day basis. We'll draft all the scripting up and then invite the marketing um, representative of, of their team to come in and like work with us to really hone it in, really make it sharp, really make it great before we go, before we go live with it. So yeah, we, we absolutely will collaborate with a marketing uh, team because we, yeah, like sales, sales by itself is, <laughs> that's worse than the two-legged stool <laughs> that, <laughs> that your previous guest talked about. That's yeah. Right. Mar- marketing and sales. I, I, with my marketing background, I've known that they, they're like peanut butter and jelly. They need each other and they're better together for sure. Do you ever walk into situations where there's tangible friction? We have. Um, currently right now, we're blessed that there isn't um, one right now. And like we just launched the Sales Alpha Roadmap earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been all pleasant experiences. But I've, as a sales leader, prior to joining Ken Lundin Associates, yeah, I've, I've had myself challenges, you know, getting aligned with a, with a marketing leader. And so, you know, should we cross that bridge? I'll just use my own experience of like, how did we, how did we build that bridge to the marketing team to, to get aligned? Um, but I, I think right now we're just fortunate. We haven't had any of those issues. Got it. Okay. Well, that's, that's uh, always a good thing, right? Sales and marketing yeah. alignments, one of those things that continues to be talked about, but rarely solved globally. Well, you guys have done a great job of, you know, beating the drum for that. And, you know, like um, Andrea Austin, and there's many other uh, marketing thought leaders that I follow that, you know, four or five years ago, Sangram's another one, a terminus. Mm-hmm. I, I think marketing and sales alignment five years ago wasn't mentioned often, or at least I didn't see it. And I was still in sales leadership. I just didn't see it out there as much as it is now. It's like, it's spoken about enough to, I think it's on everyone's radar to get aligned with your marketing and sales team if you haven't already. And the benefits are are pretty well known now. Well, so, so that's a really good pivot point here. And it goes back to how we met years ago Mm -hmm. and it was around the concept of account-based marketing or ABM. Right. And, you know, when you lay out the tenants of ABM, it's, you know, going after a target set of accounts and you hear sales screaming on the other side. Well, that's just sales. That's how we've always done it. Yeah. Right. So reaching back into your background, when you hear ABM, what's sales take on that really? I mean, it's, it's matured from that initial response. Like you said, I mean, sales, especially an enterprise focused sales team, Mm -hmm. Like we've been doing that for years. We knew that, you know, you have to really start with the logo that right. matches up well with the product offering, you know, the solution that we can provide. Right. And so I think what it's matured is, I mean, companies are growing at a rapid rate, both entering the market and moving up market that it's impossible for a sales rep to be aware of new entrants Right. You know, and, and new sort of up and comers. So if you're mid market or enterprise, like you've got people entering from markets below up into your market. Mm-hmm. And so you need, I do think you need a marketing team who is out there, who's probably handling your market research. You know, that's probably a function that they're tasked with. And so they're the ones that might read somewhere in a Inc 5000 article that, Hey, this company that's in our neighborhood is growing really, really fast. And they now are a great target for us to focus on because sales teams typically don't refresh their target account list 
you know, sometimes quarterly, but at best quarterly, a lot of them are doing it annually, but the market's moving faster than, than annually for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I think account-based marketing in itself is a misnomer, right? I mean, it's really gotta be, I know, uh, Topo, a coin account-based everything. It's limiting, isn't it? It's not just marketing. Right. I mean, it's not going to work without a collaborative effort, not only with sales. And I think you and me experienced this firsthand is it has to have buy-in marketing sales and at the executive level for Mm -hmm. true understanding of what that can be. Because I know we even had an encounter a number of years ago, probably two or three jobs ago, where you were the sales leader. We had a marketing leader who was bought in. Mm-hmm. We were going to do an account-based initiative, but it was the CFO that was our blocker, That's right? right? So there's just so much education that needs to happen cross-functionally that I think folks need to be aware of. Any lessons that you took from that that you applied later on? Well, yeah. I mean, even just from uh, internal buy-in, I Mm -hmm. learned a hard lesson, you know, like when you think you've got everybody at the table for an important strategic pivot, right? which which is what we were undergoing, you know, when we were, we were discussing that thinking that we had everybody bought in, but leaving out the CFO was, was a terrible mistake. And so, you know, a, a strategy like ABM, and I agree with you that it's a misnomer, it's a it's a change in approach. You know, it's a change in like, how are we going to drive demand and awareness up right. and, and with whom? And that is so critical for everyone from the CEO down to understand that we are changing, we are pivoting, or we are like turning this on. This, this strategy is being added to our arsenal that, yeah, you have to have company-wide buy-in and, you know, we, we learned the hard lesson there that we didn't, we didn't have everyone in the C-suite on board, unfortunately. For sure. And I think that misnomer to, to a certain extent is why ABM can fail or maybe failure to launch is more of, of the problem because it does have that marketing built into it. And I've seen it before where salespeople, okay, we're going to do ABM. Marketing comes up with this idea. The whole idea behind ABM is to align marketing and sales together and sales just rolls their eyes. And what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. So it's funny within the last 18 months, I'd say I've seen more ABM like activities, just not called ABM than I have in the 18 months prior. Interesting. Yeah. So things that I'm talking about, buyer process and persona, account account segmentation and account research, all of Mm -hmm. those things that are core tenants of ABM when presented to the C-suite as ABM, we're getting shot down. Mm. But when presented as understanding your buyers, your segmentation so that we can arm your sales team with XYZ, shorten the sales cycle, blah, 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 blah. Great. Sounds good. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a really important thing. And I wonder, so I'll, I'll throw something at you to see if, see, see if an experience I had recently was in line with, with that um, sure. mental shift when um, challenged uh, with getting, uh, you know, ABM strategy, even discussed, like even at the right table, if we shifted the frame away from like, this is going to be something new for marketing to try because I, I think that's where the pushback was. It was like marketing is pretty good. Let's not change 
the path they're on, you know, their numbers look fine. Why, why right. change? Um, when you shifted into the phrasing we used was shorter sales cycles, larger deals and a higher yes. win rate. Yes. Which are things that, I mean, a sales team pays attention to very, very closely. Yes. But a marketing sure. team can get behind and a marketing team can absolutely move the needle on with, mm-hmm. you know, good alignment with the sales team. That's how we got buy-in at another company. It was like, oh yeah, we're going to do that. That's a no brainer. Why didn't you just say it that way? Well, and I love that so much because it, it dovetails into a concept that I've been experimenting with, which is marketing needs to be able to translate its value to the C-suite. Mm-hmm. And there's this gap in translation, right? The, the CEO gets those things you just talked about, Yep. right? Bigger deals, more velocity, like those things are very tangible because they're sales and sales is very tangible to, right. the, to the rest of the C-suite. But marketing tends to do this job of talking about things like engagement and attribution and blah, blah, that just, yep. I, what are you yep. talking about? Right. Yep. So what you did there was aligning with the things that the C-suite cares about, which is aligning with sales, which gets you more, tra- you know what I mean? Like just the trajectory yeah. of that all builds, builds up to that narrative. And then, and then how do you actually execute on it? I mean, it was as simple as uh, for an enterprise deal, which was the, the world I was in previous to Ken Lindy and Associates, right. it was getting, uh, you know, marketing was in the opportunity cycle. They were in the sales cycle mm-hmm. and they knew that right before the last stage of the negotiation stage, if they sent a nice gift to the ultimate, you know, signer, the economic right. buyer, we would close deals because Love it. The, first of all, the, the, that C-suite member wasn't blindsided, which was entirely likely like, you know, like it, your, your reps are trying to get the economic buyer involved throughout, but that's right. They're in the C-suite. They're hard to get to, but if you get their attention with maybe a nice gift that just says like, we are for you, like, and this is our way of at least showing up uh, before the deal is even signed, you can smooth over any, um, we call them, we call them snipers, you know, like that right. sniper on the roof that you didn't, didn't account for that could kill the deal before the last stage. <laughs> Oh, see, man, I love that. I think that's a good positive story and a good tip there to end us on. Love it. So before we do that, where can our listeners find you? What do they need to know? Well, you know, we're on LinkedIn. Both Ken Lundin and I are active on LinkedIn. So on a personal one-to-one level, you can always connect with us there. If you want to learn more about the Sales Alpha Roadmap, you can go to www.salesalpharoadmap.com. Ken has put together a a 20-minute video that we offer up that's kind of an overview of the program just to you know if you just like want to test drive it just see if it's something that might be a good fit for your for your sales team or not and so i'd invite people to to start there if if they're not ready to maybe have a personal connection with us on on linkedin or a or a you know personal conversation about it yet i love it and in that video you you told me this in show prep but there's a a reason behind the sales alpha name should we just leave it out there as a tease for everybody or? or? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think we should probably explain it because there's, we've noticed and, and you know, it's, it's a new, it's a new program, but we've okay. noticed an early trend that um, it has actually nothing to do with alpha male, you know, just, just to be clear. Okay. It's really based on the investment term financial alpha. And so it's, it's really a challenge for Ken and myself, our team to come in and provide the difference against what you're already expecting from your sales team, because why would you bring us on board to come in and, and help your team out? You know? Right. So, so like we talked about how 
challenging status quo is at times for a That's prospect right. to want to change from, well, you can hold us accountable too. If we don't provide a measurable difference above and beyond what your sales team is currently doing, then the program's not for you because that's minimum what we'll drive. We, we even in fact say you will double your B2B sales opportunities in 90 days inside this program. So put, put it to the test. We'll see All right. Works. You're speaking the language of the C-suite. <laughs> I love it. That's right. Well, Justin, thank you for the time. Thank you for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. All right.